Forge family, last time we were together, we had looked at the account of Daniel and the lion's den. Uh, following the defeat of the Babylonian army and the death of Belshazzar, the Medo-Persian forces set out to create a military control as well as a civil control. <clears throat> and Darius was, was crowned as the king over the Persian Empire. <clears throat> now he knew that the Persians and the Medes uh, were powerfully committed to corruption and graft. And so he put in place a governing system of 120 regional satraps and three, gov- and three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one of those commissioners. And uh, the commissioners were sort of to manage the system so that the crown, the king, didn't suffer loss with all that money flowing around the empire. Um, and in the process of, of reviewing how well that system was working, Daniel was discovered to be of excellent management capacity, and King Darius was going to name him the prime minister over the empire. Now, there were a local a group of satraps and two other commissioners. The other two that had been assigned to oversee, they were having none of that. They did not want Daniel to be in any leadership position over them because he was a Jew. So they set out to discover any form of corruption that was in Daniel's accounting system and his management, but they found none of that. And so the conclusion was, if we're going to bring him down, we have to do it using his faith in his God. So the conspirators had proposed a law to the king that all prayer and supplication had to be routed, had to be moderated through the king for 30 days. And the king went, oh, that's a good idea, and signed it. Once he signed it, the law of the Medes and per uh, and the, the Medes and the Persians basically said, once it's in, been signed, can't be changed. So on hearing of that new law, Daniel went immediately to prayer. He, he knew it wasn't going to get changed. So he goes to prayer, and he's, he's on his knees facing Jerusalem, and, and this bunch of conspirators rush into his house and catch him praying. And they turn, and they rush back to the king and say, well, didn't you say, haven't you signed this law? And if someone does pray outside of praying through King Darius, then they're supposed to be thrown into the pit of lions. And the king said, yep, you got it. And so then they reported that Daniel had been caught praying. Now, the king is pretty, pretty bent at this point because he realizes he's been used to remove Daniel from a position and, and see him executed. And he trusted that man. So uh, he spends his day trying to find a loophole in the law of the Medes and Persians and cannot. So at, day, at, uh, at sunset, Daniel is, is summoned and brought in and he is lowered through this hole down into the pit of lions. And as he goes down, King Darius says, may the God that you're faithful to, that you faithfully serve, may that God protect you and save your life. They, they, they slid a rock over the, the mouth of this pit and they ran wet clay all the way around the bottom of that rock and to seal it tight. And then the king and his nobles took their signet ring and pressed their sign into that wet clay to make sure that nobody messed with the seal. The king did not sleep that night. And at dawn, he rushed to the, to the pit head and discovered that the stone had been moved away. The seal had been broken. And he cried out in a trembling voice, Daniel, has your God saved you? 
and after the greeting of O King, live forever, okay, Daniel's robust response was that he had indeed been saved for the Lord had sent an angel to shut the mouths of lions. When it was discovered that Daniel had had no injuries, then the king summoned and brought in all the conspirators and their whole families, and they were cast into the pit of lions. Yay! <laughs> okay. Now, I'm recall. Just, I'm just identifying with the present moment. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Now recall it was Yahweh who was staging Yeah, Yahweh staging a dress rehearsal for the burial and resurrection of Jesus. And it was to be with an angelic presence as well. Now do you see why many liberal scholars and thinkers hate the book of Daniel and continue to attempt to discredit it? God's faithful preservation of his account still stands. So let's pray. God who rescues, God who redeems, we call on you this day. In some ways, the body of Christ in America is poised on the lip of a pit of lions. We have men uh, uh, who uh, have prayed strong. They've risen, men and women have risen up strong and prayed in these days. But our actions in the natural, if you will, um, have not brought peace to the land, clarity to government, revival, or awakening. Now, Lord, we wait on you for the rescue and reformation of America. As you are faithful to Daniel, so too we await your visible faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in chapter 7 this week. Um, and we, we there's a monster shift here because the previous six chapters related to events in the life of Daniel, events in the life of, of um, uh, the other three Jewish young men you know, that, that were brought out of Jerusalem as captives and, and then trained in the school of Babylon. And now there's a shift because the remaining six chapters are going to be uh, focused on Daniel's visions and dreams. So um, this is also the last chapter of Daniel that is rendered in Aramaic. He's going to shift back to Hebrew. Now, we're plunged into dreams and visions that occur to Daniel over his 70 years of service to two empires and five kings. This account of a dream sent to Daniel is dated in the first year of the co-regency, if you will, between Nabonidus and Belshazzar. And when, they, when Belshazzar became, the, essentially, he was named king, okay? As, in 553 B.C., so that's, that's uh, years and, and years previous. <clears throat> that would put Daniel's age at 67 years old when he got this, this vision in the nighttime. The dream sequence so troubled Daniel that he kept it private. He didn't publish it. Okay? He wanted to ponder over it and pray over it. The date on this dream precedes that of chapter 5. You know, in chapter 5, we had the handwriting on the wall. Okay? In verses 2 to 3, Daniel said, I was looking in my vision at night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. So later in this chapter, it's made clear that the sea is the earth, and the earth is filled with the unrest and turmoil and chaos of the, of the 
Gentile nations. Isaiah was the one who compared sinful humanity to be like the sea, all tossed in, in turmoil. <clears throat> it's God who will stir up those nations, and out of that chaos will rise four great beasts. And verses 4 to 7 relate that Daniel saw, quote, the first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. It kept looking, I kept looking until its wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind also was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, resembling a bear, and it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth. And behold, another one, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that had been before, and it had ten horns. Now, we know that Nebuchadnezzar was pictured as a lion in three different chapters by Jeremiah. He was also pictured as an eagle by Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Habakkuk. Winged lions were representative of the, of the Babylonian Empire, and, and they were often displayed on walls. And when you go to, when, when the first uh, archaeologists went to Babylon, they would find these winged lions, you know, uh, in, in relief uh, on the outside of walls, or bits and pieces of them as, as the walls had come down. Now note that Daniel saw the wings torn off the lion and then the lion was raised to its feet and given a human mind. Now this points to the loss of sanity and power experienced by Nebuchadnezzar and their restoration of sanity and power was restored to him after seven years of him living like an ox. So this, this first beast that rises from the earth this first beast um points to Babylon. Next, Daniel saw a great bear rise from the earth. So at that time, the largest known species of bear came from the high mountains east of Babylon. Uh, I think on a map they look like the Zagros Mountains uh, on, in eastern Iran. And this bear is pictured as rising higher on one side. Shoulders are shifted in the, in the vision as surely the Persians did after the conquest of the Babylonian Empire. Now, in its mouth, this bear gripped three ribs, and it was divinely encouraged. Actually, the they that's in the text here is, is speaking of the Trinity. You know, it was God himself, in, in whatever forms, they encouraged this beast to devour much meat. The three ribs symbolize the conquest of Babylon, Lydia in Asia Minor, and Egypt. And when they did that, they pushed the boundaries of the, of the controlled Babylonian Empire way out to the west and to, and to, the, out to the Mediterranean and then down to Egypt. So the, the Persian Empire exceeded the landmass of the, of the Babylonian Empire. <clears throat> the third beast was pictured as like a leopard. That animal is extremely swift and strong with a great thirst for blood. The beast that Daniel saw had four wings 
and four heads. The speed of this beast was displayed by the Greek Empire. Any of you remember the name Perry Stone at all? Okay, he's a, uh, he's a prophet and a scholar. Um, and Perry said this. He said, uh, led by Alexander the Great, 35,000 well-trained Greek soldiers defeated hundreds of thousands of Persian troops at the Battle of Gaugamela. Alexander outwitted the Persian army by going distinctly and directly after Darius III. They went right after the king and, and, and broke down his, his defense system, and the king fled. And when the armies saw that the, king's, the king had fled, they turned and, and rushed away, and the, the Greek armies rushed after them, slaughtered them. At the end of it, Alexander had lost 100 men, and the Persians lost 300,000 dead. Okay? And then they took a whole bunch more slaves. So the four heads of the leopard are representative of the generals that divided the empire that Alexander left when he died at age 29. Cassander ruled Greece and Macedonia. Lysimachus ruled Thrace and Asia Minor. Seleucus ruled Asia, uh, Assyria, Mesopotamia, and Persia. And Ptolemy ruled Egypt and North Africa. Now the fourth beast here that Daniel saw rise from the earth was unlike any known beast. Daniel had never seen anything like it. It was like no natural beast at all. But it struck fear into him as terrifying, dreadful, and extremely strong. The iron teeth of this beast point to the Roman Empire that overwhelmed, shattered, and crushed all resistance from any of the previous empires and regions. It differed from the other three, differed from the other three beasts in that it had ten horns on its head. Now, previously, we'd seen the ten toes of Nebuchadnezzar's statue or image that he saw in his dream, and the toes were a mixture of clay and iron. Okay, and so we knew that there was great strength, but it would, it would not hold together. Here, we have a figure that has ten horns on its head. And it, it would represent a, a, a savage beast. The horns that are spoken of in Scripture speak of kings or kingdoms. As in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, ten kingdoms will rise. It is those ten horns or toes that will be crushed by the rock cut from the mountain without hands. Now, in verse 8, uh, there's an added further sinister horn. Quote, While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the, little, of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. Now, here Daniel sees far into the future, way past our time, okay? Out of the midst of ten kingdoms or governments that will rise out of the ancient areas of the former Roman Empire, a new horn begins to rise and grow, and ultimately it will grow bigger than the other, the other ten horns. He, this is an individual, this is a, a human. He will be extremely intelligent and clever. This king or leader will be human, will speak great blasphemies against God. He will be a ruthless world dictator for the last days. Referred to in 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians, as the man of lawlessness. 
who will attempt to eradicate all that pertains to God and even sets himself to be worshipped as God. This is the Antichrist, as described in Daniel 11, 2 Thessalonians 2, and Revelations 13. This Antichrist in Revelations is named as the Beast. Verses 9 and 10, Daniel says, I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow and the hair of his head was pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him and thousands upon thousands were attending him and myriads upon myriads were standing before him The court sat, and the books were opened. Now here, Daniel shifts to poetry in his description of God Most High. And here, the word that he uses, and it's in the text, is the Ancient of Days. Three times in Scripture, in this chapter, okay, in this chapter alone, God is titled as Ancient of Days. He existed before creation, before time, and is eternal. What Daniel saw was a court scene arrayed before him with a vast multitude of celestial beings. God is dressed in white, which speaks of absolute moral purity as the judge. Because God himself is holy, and he judges sin. Here is the rising... Here, you know, he's, He is coming here to judge the rising empire of the man of lawlessness and the man himself. God's throne is ablaze, flaming with fire, as are the wheels upon which his throne sits. Now, apparently, in uh, in that period in the ancient East, thrones were often pictured on wheels. Fire is a symbol of judgment and God's wrath. The river of fire flowing out from below, before the throne demonstrates judgment on the wicked, particularly on the little horn, if you will, this beast when Christ returns. Multitudes of thousands of celestial beings are present in the court when the books are opened. Now these books are God's memories. They're what God knows took place. And it speaks specifically to the deeds of the Antichrist and his evil empire. Now, many scholars write that this judgment takes place at the second coming of Christ, at the end of the tribulation period of seven years. That's when the feet of Christ, remember from Zechariah, the feet of Christ, he he descends from heaven, his feet touch the Mount of Olives, the mountain splits north to south and creates a, a safety exit for the warriors who've been besieged in Jerusalem. And they, they flee and get away. Now, many prophesied events in Scripture get accordioned or telescoped together. So you can see them, but what you're not aware of and you see them is the, the epochs of time between those events. So scholars think they know the order of these things and when they're going to take place. And it seems to match up. But again, we, we don't know the time. Verses 11 and 12 have Daniel saying, Then I kept looking because the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, 
Their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. Now, certainly the rise and rule of the Antichrist gets telescoped here for Daniel. For as he continues to watch, this little horn keeps blaring forth blasphemies against God until suddenly the beast, the Antichrist, is slain and its body is destroyed and consigned to the fire. Right up to the very moment of judgment and death, the beast is absolutely opposed to God. Now, who, who is that? Well, it's the premier servant of Satan at the, at the end of time. Daniel said that as for the three beasts and the remains of their empires, their judgment is delayed for a season. Now, we're thrust into verses 13 and 14, which introduce the Messiah, the Son of Man, which liberal scholars detest. And they attempt to set this figure, the Son of Man, in the pre-New Testament time, the intertestamental period, the time of the Maccabees. Here, Daniel keeps watching what is coming to pass in this dream. That the Lord has sent to him, and he lays it out in Aramaic poetry. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every tongue and language might serve him. His dominion was an everlasting dominion that would not pass away, and his kingdom is one that would not be destroyed. Now, immediately after the judgment of the beast, who is the Antichrist, okay, then the Messiah, the one like a son of man, is presented before God. So that tells you who could come into the presence of God face to face? God himself. Okay? This newly coronated king was fully human and fully divine forever. Daniel knew the phrases regarding all peoples and nations and tongues because that had been part of the edicts of the empires that he'd served. Now, a new kingdom was rising that would never fade away, never lose dominion, never be destroyed. Now, here the scriptures teaches that Christ, the Messiah, the Son of Man, and God are, are multiple expressions of the same Godhead. Daniel says... He was distressed and alarmed at his visions. And he turned to the interpreting angel just like Zechariah did to get an interpretation. Now here you have the greatest dream interpreter, interpreter who is just overwhelmed at what he's seen and is now looking to heaven for an interpretation. <clears throat> the angel said to Daniel, These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings and will rise from the earth but the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Now that is a telescoped summary if there ever was one. Okay? That's the beginning and the end. Of it. We, we can deal with your, with your dream here. It starts here and it ends here. In verses 19 to 22, though, Daniel comes back and wants to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast which is unlike any living form, terrorizing in its appearance with teeth of iron and nails of bronze, which is trampling, trampling and crushing all before it. Further, Daniel wanted to know about the ten horns and the little horn that would grow to be bigger than all the other ten and the three horns that would be uprooted by the Antichrist. Okay, now this, this beast or this Antichrist 
its eyes and blaspheming mouth had left Daniel in wonder. Daniel kept looking while this, this interpreting angel is in his ear. And Daniel saw that the blaspheming horn was waging war against the saints and overpowering them. Then Daniel saw the Ancient of Days come to pass judgment in favor of the saints of the highest one. And time then arrived for the saints to take possession of the kingdom. Now previously, there had not been any mention in scripture that the saints of God would be persecuted, warred against, and overcome. Now Revelation 13 confirms such a reality. But these saints of the Most High are at that time will be converts to Christ after the church is raptured. When judgment is rendered on the beast, the saints of God, both living and resurrected, will possess the kingdom. Then the interpreting angel speaks again in verses 23 to 27. He says, that fourth beast is a kingdom that will devour the whole earth, crushing it and treading it down. And of the ten kings that will arise, that blaspheming horn, if you will, the Antichrist, would uproot and tear out three of them that resist his rule as he continues to speak blasphemy against the Most High while grinding down and wearing out the saints. He will attempt to alter time and law. And... um, there will occur during a time, times, and a half a time during which the saints will suffer. So the, that phrase about time is, is translated and interpreted as a year, two years, and half a year. Total of three and a half years, which is half the period of the time of the Great Tribulation. Revelation 11 says Jerusalem will be trampled for 42 months, which is three and a half years. The angel says then the court of the Ancient of Days will convene and the authority and power, the dominion and life of the Antichrist, this beast, will be taken away and destroyed forever. The final statement of the interpreting angel was in verse 27. Quote, the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. So four times in this chapter, Yahweh has been titled the highest one. El Yonin is the, is the phrase in the word in Aramaic. Daniel says he was alarmed and his face grew pale. And he kept all his dreams and, and dream and vision to himself. So, Forge family, the, the Nebuchadnezzar statue dream, if you will, with the gold head and the silver uh, arms and, and shoulders and the, the torso of bronze and this, the, the iron legs, and, you know, that matches up. It overlaps the four beasts, okay? And, um, and then there's more information that's added, okay? <clears throat> So why was it that the Lord sent a second parallel vision 50 years after Nebuchadnezzar? Did not the second vision introduce more detail? 
And did not the Lord introduce the role of Messiah, the Son of Man, into the end times prophecy? And did not the Lord identify himself as having multiple personalities with the same character of holiness and and the same nature? These two dreams were laid out to emphasize God's sovereignty, his holiness, and the certainty that this amazing prophecy was coming to pass. Now, do we know the times and the seasons when these things will take place? No. Jesus said, only the Father knows. But he, in his wisdom, was chosen to build the expectation of the church, the bride of Christ. He was chosen to prophesy the future events so that we will know and we will be better prepared. We will know how to pray and how to live. And in light of what's coming, we'll know how to quickly repent, right the ship that we sail, and turn back to him who is the most high, the ancient of days. There's one more little thing. Who else do we know in scripture that gathered things up and held them in their heart, treasured them? Mary did the same thing. She didn't understand. She did not understand the prophecies concerning what was going to happen to her son. So she responded the same way. She took them and held them close and didn't didn't share them. Now, perhaps she poured that out ultimately to Luke when he wrote his gospel. Let's pray. Most high God, thank you for revelation and interpretation and understanding. Now, Lord, help us to integrate these dreams and prophecies into our lives so that we anticipate your soon coming. Thank you for your sovereignty before which we bow. In Jesus' name, amen.